0: We're back, season two, a new studio, and a new man in Washington. Hello, Sean Whelan. Hello, Jackie, how are you doing? I'm good. It's kind of like, I feel like Silla Black. It's like, what's your name and where do you come from?
1: Where do I come from? I came from London, Jackie, and uh, I left there on the day that uh, Putin invaded Ukraine. That's when I set foot. Uh, on U.S. soil for my first day in this job as Washington correspondent, but my gear from London didn't arrive until the week before the UN General Assembly in September. Uh, So that was a long time waiting, about seven months. Still only took 10 days for the ship to sail across the Atlantic, but getting ships and moving boxes. All those supply chain issues you've heard about, they're all true, Jackie. Uh, Things are are still a bit chaotic, trying to move things around the globe. Uh, The other thing I'm glad about now in Washington is this. It's the fall over here, or autumn as we call it, Oh, such a beautiful time of year, isn't it? The mosquitoes are visually beautiful, but what I love about it most is the mosquitoes have died off and they're not biting me anymore. (laughs) Uh, I was target number one for those guys. They're horrible, they're mean, and they're the nastiest mosquitoes I've ever come across (laughs) on the globe. This place is a swamp. I wish somebody had drained it.
0: (laughs) So you're adapting well then, I take it?
1: (laughs) Apart from the mozzies, yeah. And uh, now that I've got my Boris Johnson biography shipped across the Atlantic, Yeah, I'm adapting really well. It's a nice town. I like it here.
0: Fantastic. Well, Sean, we have loads to talk about. So let's get to it. It's always good to do a refresher on these elections. It's a complicated process. And I think we can be forgiven for letting that information evaporate. Our Foreign Desk colleague, Gail Conway, is here to run through the foundations of the midterm elections. Hello, Gail. And thank you so much for joining us. So these midterm elections, they happen every two years.
2: That's right, Jackie. These are biennial elections. So like you said, they take place every two years. Now, elections are happening for Congress. Congress is made up of two parts or chambers, the US Senate and the US House of Representatives there are 100 senators and 435 representatives. So all 435 seats in the House of Representatives are up for grabs, but senators sit for six-year terms, which are staggered. So around one-third of the Senate is up for re-election every two years. That means this year there are 35 seats up for election. So in the current Congress, women hold just over a quarter of the 535 voting seats, and that's at 27%, the highest in US history. Um, During the terms people won't just be voting for congress there are also a number of local and statewide races including governors in 36 states and this is important as some of these officials will be involved in organizing the presidential elections in two years time
1: Uh, gail could you remind us about the uh, importance of these two houses, the, the House of Representatives and the Senate? What do they do in the US system?
2: OK, so in the House, there are 212 Republicans and 220 Democrats, plus three vacancies at the moment, meaning Democrats have had control of the House for the first two years of President Joe Biden's term of office. So members of the House represent individual districts. The number of districts in each state is determined by a state's population, with each state having a minimum of one representative. Now, the House is the lower chamber of Congress and it's responsible for passing federal legislation known as bills. And these bills then have to be passed by the Senate before being sent to the President for consideration. The House also has exclusive powers. It initiates all revenue bills, impeaches federal officers and can elect the President if no candidate receives a majority of votes in the Electoral College. In recent years, we've seen the House start the impeachment process Mm -hmm. with former President Donald Trump twice.
3: Question now. Is on Article One of the Resolution impeaching President Donald J. Trump for abusing his powers.
2: And the presiding officer is the Speaker of the House and is elected by the party that has more voting members. Currently, that's the Democrats and the outgoing Speaker is Nancy Pelosi. So a quick fun fact, members of the House wear special pins. They identify them as members and distinguish them from staffers and visitors at the Capitol. So unique new pins are designed for each new Congress every two years. Some female members have started wearing them as necklaces rather than as lapel pins.
0: We love a fun fact. So while the House is the lower chamber, then the Senate is the upper
2: chamber. That's right, so the Senate has the power to approve treaties, confirm major governmental roles including the Supreme Court, cabinet positions and ambassadors.
1: Well, is there a person you're talking about? I'm
0: asking you a very direct question, yes or no.
1: I, I need to know the, uh, I'm not sure I know everyone who works at that law firm.
0: I don't think you need to. I think you need to know who you talked with. Who'd you talk to?
3: I don't think I, I I'm not remembering, but I'll, I'm not
2: And conduct the trials of those impeached by the House. As we saw, they saved Donald Trump from impeachment twice. Um, So Democrats currently control the Senate, but only with a 50-50 split with Vice President Kamala Harris having the deciding vote. So usually 52 seats or more would be considered a true majority.
0: Thanks so much, Gail. We are definitely prepped and ready to go. Now, Sean, I don't know about you, but for me... My concept of time, it's its all over the place following the pandemic. I can't believe it's only two years since Joe Biden was elected U.S. president in one of the most controversial, divisive and most fraught elections.
3: In a stunning display from a sitting president, Donald Trump launching an assault on the integrity of the election. If you count the legal votes, I easily win.
0: And we are going to fight like hell yes. against the tyrannical Democrats <laughs> and any Republicans who do deals. With them. And two years since he was elected, it's midterms time. These midterm elections usually don't get the same attention as the presidential election. However, issues over the future of democracy, which we will cover in a separate co- podcast, by the way, mean tension is more focused than ever on these elections. Attention especially on the more local contests, as they affect state policies on a range of issues, from abortion access to voting rights.
1: That's right, uh, Jackie. It's... A national contest but it always breaks down to local issues because as we know all politics is local and in certain states well in four states in fact this time we've got referendums effectively on abortion in the wake of what happened uh, with the Roe v Wade ruling being overturned by the Supreme Court back in May we've also got as always you're going to get local issues related to the economy or particular uh, environmental issues or questions of democracy there are certain hotspots in this United States of America where the idea of election denialism or the notion that there was something seriously flawed about the way the election was conducted back in 2020 is very persistent and appears, in fact, to have grown uh, in certain states. Arizona uh, a particular example of that. So, yeah, a lot of issues out there uh, that affect the way uh, the votes are going to fall. The other thing to bear in mind, though, is that even though there's 435 seats in play uh, in these uh, congressional elections and every politician will tell you there's no such thing as a safe seat, there kind of is uh, because of the way maps get drawn uh, in constituencies here. Most of the seats that are being uh, contested are not really being contested. Most of them are fairly safe seats. There's about 30, maybe 40 seats where there is a real contest and that uh, is going to be where the House is going to be won and lost. And the margins... Are pretty narrow. Uh, the Democrats only have a small majority in the House uh, at the moment and in a midterm election uh, it tends to be the party of the president gets a right old kicking uh, and if that proves to be the case and history is repeated then the Democrats look likely to lose uh, the, this election. But the majority that the Republicans could get it's not going to be a Boris Johnson like landslide because of the way uh, that only a few seats are really mm. incontestant. And it's the same in the Senate, uh, but even more concentrated. But I think we'll talk about the Senate uh, a little while away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because these midterm elections, as you were saying, it's usually, they are usually a referendum on the president too, right? In usual midterms, the party in the White House suffers double digit losses in the House, 26 on average since World War II, and around four Senate seats as voters seek to check on the president's power.
1: Yeah, and if that happens this time, then uh, you know, Joe Biden loses the House and the Senate because the majorities there are absolutely wafer thin. In fact, in the Senate, it breaks down a 50-50 and a casting vote of the chairman of the Senate, which is the Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, keeps the Democrats mm-hmm. in the slenderest of majorities uh, in that House. Uh, and in the lower House, uh, I think it's only five-seat majority that they have there. So it's really, really uh, fine margins here. Earlier in the the year around springtime, late spring, it looked like Joe Biden was going to get an almighty kicking because not only was he getting the usual uh, midterm blues that all presidents suffer from, he was doing so in the face of one of the biggest economic downturns we've seen.
2: Tonight,
0: inflation
2: nation. Inflation's grip on American consumers not letting up.
1: The highest inflation in 41 years. The cost of living crisis hit home quite fast here. Inflation kicks in. Uh, to the American economy, uh, reflecting in prices on the shelves in mm-hmm. the petrol uh, forecourts very, very fast. Uh, and that was a dominant theme that was strapping booster rockets, if you like, to the unpopularity of the president earlier in the springtime. Now, he has had some uh, positive news, uh, things that have played to his advantage in the months since then. But the economy is the issue above all else yeah. uh, in this econo- in this election and it's not playing well for President Biden.
0: And we had some gaffes as well from Joe Biden. I don't know if you remember that. Where is Jackie incident? He apologised for mistakenly calling for the late Wallarski during public remarks despite her death in August. Jackie,
3: are you here? Where's Jackie?
0: Along with Joe Biden, Sean, Vice President Kamala Harris, she has also struggled with opinion polls. In her first year, she had a surprising amount of staff turnover. She was also tasked with two difficult jobs, tackling migration and enacting national voting reform. Very difficult jobs. And at one point in 2021, her public approval rating sat at only 28%, making her one of the least popular vice presidents in modern history. That's lower than Iraq War architect Dick Chase. That poll effectively framed the conversation about the vice president as one of struggle and also disappointment for her boss, Joe Biden, which I believe he's 80 at the end of November, and he'll be hoping for a good result for his birthday present. And you talked about some of them there, Sean, but he did have some wins amid all of this unpopularity.
1: He did, and his wins came in the legislative process, so the House and the Senate, uh, it's, as we know, the phrase gridlock is almost always bolted onto the word Washington. Uh, it's very difficult to get things through the uh, parliamentary system uh, here in the uh, United States. Um, lots of presidents have tried and failed. It took decades to get a reform of the corporation tax law. They lagged, even though it's the the ultimate in capitalist economies here in America. It took them decades to try and catch up with what everybody else was doing in the world. So it's hard to get business done. And yet Joe Biden had this amazing run of -hmm. getting bills, major pieces of legislation, through the House and the Senate.
0: This morning, President
3: Biden and congressional Democrats capping off a week of wins with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. The yeas are 220, the nays are 207. The motion is adopted.
1: And that has given him something to start boasting about, getting this huge, big investment bill in the Inflation Reduction Act uh, through uh, in particular gives him something that he can go out and sell to people and say, look, I'm doing something to help you. Mm. He's also been trying to uh, manipulate the fuel reserves here to try and get the price of petrol down. For a European, it looks fairly cheap, but for Americans, Mm. it's super expensive. uh, And that's the one thing they are complaining about all of the time. Otherwise, the prices at the the supermarket shelves, uh, it's really hard to do anything about that, particularly in the short term. And you're at the mercy of the central bank who are just putting up interest rates to do what they have to do in the face of inflation. It really doesn't help a president, though.
0: Absolutely. And with all of this in mind, what are the tactics of both parties during this election cycle?
1: Well, for the Republicans, it's straightforward. Everything that's wrong in your life, it's Joe Biden's fault. You blame him for everything. He's the guy sitting in the White House. We know where the buck stops. It stops with him. So you blame him for everything. Particularly the economy, particularly for rising prices, everybody is feeling the effect of rising prices, and it is really, really expensive over here. I've got to say, Jackie, that's the, the one thing uh, that I found really different. To How much West is to, your coffee uh, in the morning, uh, Sean? To Europe, <laughs> about fiver. Um, um, pint of beer is eight to eight fifty. Uh, plus, they're looking for a twenty percent tip on top of that. So, you know, it's, it's ten or a pint is <laughs> wow. you know not unheard of. Uh, that's more than Temple Bar. You don't see much change out of a fifty if, if you're buying around. Uh, yeah, a lot more than Temple Bar. And uh, yeah, even Americans who've come over here in the summer have been shocked um, about how rapidly the prices have gone up and uh, how high the prices are. My personal index is the onion index, twenty for a single onion no down way. the supermarkets. And every supermarket in D.C. seems to be the same price. And, of course, my final kicker on this one, it, when I arrived here, the dollar and the euro were pretty close in price. Now the uh, dollar has strengthened because of the global uh, economic and security situation. Uh, it's worth more than a euro, so uh, you know a dollar twenty is more than a euro twenty for a single onion. Uh, so the prices are, are pretty eye-watering, and uh, so not just for me, but for everybody in this country.
0: So, so obviously, then the Republicans they're targeting Biden's unpopularity and the state of the economy clearly just by you talking there, the everyday prices. What are the Democrats doing then to go, hey, you should vote for us amid all of this uncertainty and high prices?
1: Well, the ones that they see as their bankers are the democracy issue, um, the threat to the the democratic uh, system in America caused by the election deniers and the work of the January 6th committee and everything that happened in that last presidential election and afterwards. Uh, and also the abortion issue.
0: We can tell you right now that in a 6-3 to decision written by Justice Samuel Alito, the court has ruled that states can decide whether abortion should be legal or illegal.
1: Now, when that happened back uh, end of May, June, uh, the Democrats were saying, this is a big winning issue for us. Coming from an Irish background, I thought if a political party is nailing its colours to the abortion mast, then they're definitely in trouble. But actually... They were right. It has played out rather well for them. Uh, Some people were saying if the election had been held in early September, the Democrats would have done really, really well on the abortion issue. It's really mobilized a lot of women, particularly in the suburban areas, the key battlegrounds in the key battleground states. And Joe Biden keeps going out there even now saying the power of women is going to be unleashed Mm. in this election and the Republicans aren't going to know what hit them. He might be right about that to some extent, uh, but that issue of the economy has come back into fore uh, during the month of October in particular, late September into October, right up to where we are now. The economic news has just gotten worse and worse, and that's just playing badly for the the, uh, Democrats. The other issue the Republicans are hitting hard on is crime. Uh, They keep bashing into the Republicans, or to the Democrats, in any Democrat city uh, like New York or Chicago or LA, they are hammering home the crime statistics.
0: So, with all of that in mind, Republicans remain favoured to take over the House in November. In the House, there are several races to look at, but we're going to park that for the next podcast when we look at American democracy, because that's Whoever is elected to the House will have a say about the direction the country is going in. In the meantime, Sean, one race that Irish people will be interested in is the Massachusetts 1st Congressional District, as Richard Neal, a defender of the Good Friday Agreement following Brexit, is facing a Republican challenger, Dean Martilli. He's an ex-Democrat and pro-Trump candidate. So let's talk to the man himself. Chairman Richard Neal, thank you for joining us on States of Mind. It's a busy time for you with the midterms coming up, so we appreciate uh, your time. You said this month that you have hopes that Democrats will maintain control of the House. How is that hope as we come closer to Election Day now?
3: Well, I think that when people look at generic polling, the question is a broad-based one based upon the appetite as to whether or not one would vote for a Democrat or a Republican. The challenge with that analysis is that it does not take into consideration the individual race. So I think that the candidates that uh, we've had across the country have really been of high quality. And I think that the primary season on the Republican side created an atmosphere where there was a bit of a dilemma to go with the candidate who was the most uh, fervent supporter of Donald Trump which would be more problematic in a general election than it would be in a primary, is going to inure to our benefit. So I feel very good about the quality of our candidates. And actually, when you trace uh, a map and you go through it, I think our candidates in Michigan, in California, in Pennsylvania, they all seem at the moment to be in pretty decent condition.
0: As we come up to these elections... How do you look at your own country at the moment? Because from the outside looking in, it seems incredibly divided, tense, unpredictable, with an undercurrent of deceit. These elections seem to be highlighting those difficulties.
3: Well, I think that it's fair to say that America is in an irritable mood. I don't think there's much question about that. But not to miss the point that I think elections are about investing in our institutions and not investing in our personalities, So I still feel very good about America's institutions. I think that we've been through uh, periods before which were far more, uh, I think, uh, in upheaval than we are currently. And after all, we fought a civil war in the 1860s. We've had uh, two world wars. We've had all kinds of dissent. And our First Amendment acknowledges the obligation of a second opinion. So I think that democracy is supposed to be noisy. And I don't think that we're, I'm trying to understate the polarization that has now settled in with the American people, but I also feel very confident about our institutions.
1: Jackie, I'd be interested in, in hearing from uh, Chairman Neal about his views on how he thinks the uh, January 6th committee is playing as an issue in these elections with the electorate, uh, because most of the people we're talking to are talking about the economy. They're not talking about democracy issues or the, the findings of the J6 committee. now. Do you think, uh, Chairman, is that because people are just being polite and they want to avoid this kind of civil war undercurrent, and so the economy is kind of safe ground for them to talk about, or is January 6th just not having any real traction on these elections?
3: Well, I think that we're in the closing argument phase of the national campaigns, and the result of which is there's a combination of factors. I think January 6th is part of it. I think the economy is part of it. I think that the abortion argument is part of it, and I... I have to acknowledge that inflation is part of the argument as well. So the January 6th committee, in my judgment, they have performed a Herculean task, and that is using data and evidence to present and document their case. Facts, after all, matter. And I think that the manner in which they've conducted themselves as well has been superior to what those critics might have expected, when people thought that it was going to be more of a shouting match of he said, she said, they said. It has not turned out to be that at all. Instead, it has turned out to be a very well-informed inquest into what happened based on the result of January 6th.
1: And yet we're still seeing some people classified as election deniers still doing pretty well in the polls in their individual races. Do you think there's some parts of the country are just not receptive to the presentations from January 6th and that the election denialism is so well entrenched in those places that They're more or less gone uh, from a Democrat point of view.
3: Well, I I certainly think there's a hangover effect. I don't think that's in dispute. And I also would suggest that I would use the example of New Hampshire, where the Republican candidate, Bolduck, uh, made the argument for months in a Republican primary that Donald Trump had won the election. Primary, he said Joe Biden had won the election. So you can see that our primary system, in a sense, has distorted the realities of campaigning by suggesting that an individual has to stick to one position for the primary, and then they have to reverse course if they think that it benefits them by speaking to the broader audience, the general electorate, that will go to the polls in November. So the primary system, I think you're correct, is distorting for sure our electioneering system, But I use the case of New Hampshire, where overnight an individual who had previously taken the position that Trump won then conceded the next day that Biden had won. And now Republicans, they're using a certain spin factor, which I find interesting, rather than having to comment on the election itself, they are now saying Joe Biden is president.
0: Chairman Neal, just a bit of a gear change here, because you have been a massive defender of the Good Friday Agreement ever since the Brexit chaos from 2016. For you, what would a Republican House mean for US, Irish and UK relations?
3: Well, one of the nice things about the Friends of Ireland, which I've had the honour to chair and co-chair over many decades, is that it has always been bipartisan in nature. And I think that we are able to put aside some of the differences we've had to ensure not just the success of the Good Friday Agreement, but to also ensure what I believe is the argument that the Good Friday Agreement is a template for what peace accords can be like across the world. So I think the model we developed, the success that we've had, and I played a role in it, uh, I believe remains uh, really nonpartisan in nature.
0: So it would be business as usual if the Republicans took the House?
3: I think it would be business as usual. And you should know that I have been very careful over my long career on these issues that date back almost to the uh, Bobby Sands death to always make sure that this was bipartisan. So during my time as chairman and co-chairman, I carefully recruited Republican members of Congress who were interested in the issue. And we have a strong bipartisan committee.
1: Well, one final question from me, Chairman, if I may. Uh, Would you be brave enough now to put numbers on uh, how you think the outcome is going to be for both House and Senate?
3: So let me give the mathematical equation. I think that there are about 38 seats that are to be contested. And I think that the winning side is likely to be up by slightly more than a handful of seats.
0: Chairman Richard Neal, thank you for joining us on States of Mind. I know you're on the road at the moment uh, campaigning. It's in the middle of the midterm. So we really appreciate your time. Thanks a million.
3: Thanks, Jackie, and thanks, Sean. All the best.
0: Let's move to the Senate, Sean. That's more of a toss-up compared to the House of Representatives. Now, there are 50 senators from each party with Vice President Kamala Harris having the tiebreaker vote there, as Gail was explaining to us earlier. So, technically, the Democrats have the majority in the Senate. With this election, at least eight races are considered competitive. Races to keep an eye on on election night are Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. In particular, Nevada and Georgia are ones to watch because that's where Democratic incumbents are seeking re-election. Sean, you were in Pennsylvania recently though and the Senate race there, you couldn't write it, you couldn't make it up. Pennsylvania is an open seat held by a retiring Republican and has been one of the most dramatic races in this cycle.
1: It has been dramatic, and I think it's going to be dramatic right up to the wire. Uh, You've got these two larger-than-life candidates. In the case of the uh, Democrat candidate, John Fetterman, quite literally larger-than-life. The guy is well over two metres tall, about 130 kilos in weight. I mean, the guy is massive. If you think about the biggest uh, uh, lock, (laughs) second (laughs) row forward in rugby, uh, and stuff a bunch of kilos onto him, a guy who's been hitting the donuts a bit too hard. Uh, He's bald he has a goatee beard, and he doesn't dress like a standard US politician. He goes around in hoodies and yeah. shorts most of the time. He has tattoos on his arms. I mean, the guy just absolutely does not look like a standard-issue uh, American politician. His rival, however, does look like a standard-issue politician in the well-cut but not-too-fashionable type of suits, full head of hair, clean-shaven, uh, rich dude. Uh, and yet he comes with his own backstory to him, because uh, he is Dr. Mehmet Oz, best known in this country as a television doctor, um, goes by the name of Dr. Oz. Uh, He was uh, um, the sort of in-house doctor uh, on the Oprah Winfrey show, Mm -hmm. and this brought him to national fame. Three things you can do
0: in the bathroom in just three minutes that will keep you living longer. What are they?
3: Well, it's about using your senses. You wanna hear what the stool, the poop, sounds like when it hits the water. And that sounds crazy, but if it sounds like a bombardier, you know, plop, plop, plop. That's not right, because it means you're constipated. It means the the food is too hard by the time it comes out. And of course, fame is an
1: absolutely essential bit of currency if you're coming into politics in America. As Donald Trump proved uh, beyond all doubt, if you're famous, if you've got that name recognition, then you're going to pick up votes from people. So Dr. Oz comes in, well-known nationally in this election, Um, and endorsed rather late in the day by Donald Trump himself to give him that extra bit of uh, Mm. perhaps uh, fame or impetus that got him over the line in a rather tight uh, primary race there to face uh, Fetterman. And this looked like a great setup: a guy coming in from the Republican Party, from the right of the Republican Party, backed by Donald Trump, up against a guy who's fairly lefty uh, in the uh, Democrats uh, and looks very left-field. And it was all set up for a great titanic struggle
3: until... Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman says he has had a stroke. Fetterman released a video this afternoon saying the stroke happened Friday and was caused by a blood clot from his heart. Everything, it changes everything. Everything about it has changed. I always thought I was pretty empathetic. uh, uh, Emphatic. Uh, I I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, you know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. Yeah. I always thought I was very empathetic uh, before having a stroke. But now after having that stroke, I really understand, you know, much more kind of the challenges that Americans have day in and day out. And uh, that left him out of the
1: uh, campaigning action for pretty much all of the summer. It was only in late August that he actually started to make a small comeback, but it's only in a small way because the stroke has left him with hearing difficulties. He, he just can't hear a lot of stuff. People are saying things to him and he's just walking past them and they think he's being rude. It's not, he just can't hear it. He's had to do a television interview recently using closed caption, looking at the questions on a screen and that is going to be difficult for him. Uh, He just can't communicate properly with the electorate. Uh, He's saying by January, by the time I take up my seat, I'm going to be fine again, but in the meantime he's got to come up uh, against a fully functioning doctor who's Specialism happens to be uh, stroke and uh, heart conditions. It's just extraordinary and who, stuff. And whilst he himself has not, it is. And whilst he himself hasn't attacked Fetterman personally, his campaign people have, and he's run plenty of ads showing mm. himself jogging along, uh, looking super fit and healthy, the subliminal message there being, of course, you can trust me, I'm, I'll last the course, this other guy. Yeah. Not for the for the long haul. It, at re- all.
0: it really has been some fight between them because Pennsylvania is so important, um, especially when we look at presidential elections. Because in 2016, Trump won Pennsylvania by only 44,000 votes. Then Joe Biden reclaimed the state in 2020, winning it by a similar, similarly narrow margin of only 1.17%. And you were talking about some of the campaign strategies there, Sean. I think my favourite was... Um, when it's because John Fetterman, for a bit of context, he is targeting Dr. Oz as being an opportunistic New Jersey carpetbagger. So he had Snooki. I, d- I don't know if you know what a Snooki is, Sean, or who a Snooki is. Um, but she was a reality like TV a high star. court judge
1: who said, "What is this Gaza? What is this Snooki? I have no idea."
0: <laughs> That's all right. We'll forgive you. But he had Snooki record for people who do know who Snooki is. Uh, record a video reminding Dr. Oz that he's from Jersey.
1: Hey, Mema. This is Nicole Snooki. Um, and I'm from Jersey Shore. I don't know if you've seen of it before, um, but I'm a hot mess
2: on a reality show basically and I enjoy life. Um, but I heard that you moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania to look for a new job. And personally, I don't know why anyone would want to leave Jersey because it's like the best place ever and we're all hot messes.
0: He also flew a banner on the Jersey, Jersey Shore while Oz was visiting there that read, Hey, Dr. Oz, welcome home to NJ. Mad stuff. It really is. Uh, Very briefly, Sean, any other notable Senate race uh, mentions? Uh, Georgia is turning out to be another really unbelievable race, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Georgia is uh, unbelievable and it's kind of down to cartoon capers there. You've got uh, Raphael Warnock, who's a preacher, who uh, is the preacher at the church founded by Martin Luther King. Uh, So he's defending the seat. Um, He's up against uh, a guy called Herschel Walker, who is one of the most famous American football players ever to win, play the game of American football, won the Heisman Trophy, the College Player of the Year in his home state, Georgia, for Georgia University, Uh, massively loved player as a footballer, Um, footballers transitioning into politics, some success, some not successful, but in Walker's case, he comes with a huge load of baggage in terms of his personal life, which is incredibly messy. Uh, he's trying to sell an anti-abortion message, and yet he's had a former girlfriend pop up and say, this guy paid for an abortion for me and mm. produced cards and stuff after he denied it. And then when he got deep into the denial, she came back out again and said, uh, he tried to make me abort a second child. How can this happen? Uh, he's had four children acknowledged by four different women. Uh, he's been in trouble with guns and threatening people, all kinds of crazy stuff going mm. on. Uh, some of his statements in his media outings have not been uh, pretty, very edifying at all. And yet, and yet, he is within margin of error of this super slick preacher who can talk uh, the talk on any given topic, as you'd expect, uh, of uh, a preacher. Um, they are really, really close. You can't separate them. And also to bear in mind with Georgia... Whoever wins uh, there has to get more than 50%. Now, neither of these two candidates have broken 50% in their polling, so there's a very good chance that this particular race is going to go to a runoff election in December. And if that is the one seat that is leaving the Senate in abeyance and we don't know the result uh, come uh, a fortnight's time, then Georgia is most likely to be the place where we're left waiting for another month and the attention of the nation is going to focus on these two guys. So keep a really close eye on that one.
0: Extraordinary. Extraordinary stuff. And that's why we do this podcast. Arizona is also another race for listeners to keep an eye on uh, when the midterms come up. More on that next week, because Sean, you are actually travelling to Arizona, aren't you?
1: that is the plan uh, get down to the one of the sunshine states and have a look at the sunshine <laughs> and now it's getting a bit autumnal here jealous. I'm going hunt of more mosquitoes hopefully there aren't any down there
0: <laughs> though they'll love your Irish skin I'll tell you that they will um, that kicks the can into the next the next episode so enjoy the hot October mosquito ridden weather over there in um, Arizona Sean and I'll chat to you next week
1: will do Jackie looking forward to it